had a good day yesterday. Went to Indianapolis, and Carrie had arranged, uh, unbeknownst to me, for my uh, dad and stepmom and sister and her new husband to join us for lunch, so that was fun. I also had a chance to go combining this week, and uh, I've never done that before, and I could not believe that. It seems like you are in it for about eight seconds, and suddenly it's just full. I just did not realize that corn is like the most dense thing in the universe, basically. <laughs> but it was, uh, again, it's, it's incredible, the efficiency, and it's, it's like the space shuttle, basically. It's, it's impressive, so thank you, Bruce and Pam. Uh, we'll be in John chapter 7 this morning. And before we get in, I just want to make one more comment that uh, I've heard that there's been an increase this week in COVID cases, both here in Cincinnati and in Rankin. And so I just want to give another reminder that it's important just to, to keep distance, especially here at church. Um, I think there's a lot of people here who might not even necessarily be worried for themselves, but they have family and they have people who they interact with who might be more at risk, who they also have to think about and worry about. And so... Um, again, we, we definitely want to be a place that's inviting and where we have good fellowship and good relationships. Um, but it's important, you know, not to get super close and right up in people's personal space. And, um, and yeah, just to, to be mindful of that. Again, it's, it's been a long year for all of us. Um, and it's, just, it's important. And, and it is a flu season as well. Um, that's, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah, so it's important just to be, to be careful and um, to honor each other in that way. So John chapter 7 will be in verses 37 to 39 today. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Our Lord, it is only through your gospel that the longings of the human soul can be quenched. We praise you for the salvation which you promised through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that we have a Savior whom we can approach. Lord, we ask that you again bless our time as we study your word, that you prepare our hearts as we approach your scriptures, and may we do so in a spirit of humility and reverence. And Lord, I pray for us even now, as a few minutes from now we'll be taking communion. Lord, and I I pray that we be prepared for that in heart and mind and soul and strength. Lord, I also do pray for our community and the local communities, surrounding areas in this church in regards to COVID, Lord, and I thank you that we've, um, to this point, been delivered from this horrible disease and just want to continue to pray for everyone here for our health and safety and, Lord, want to entrust all things to you. Lord, none but you is worthy of our praise. We pray that 
we would be strengthened and edified as we study your holy word. Bless our time, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Water. It helps regulate our body temperature. It protects our joints and spinal cord. It helps our brain function, energy levels, and circulation. It's used for running the major systems in our bodies. It helps our bodies dispose of waste. It impacts our our skin, all of our major organs. It's essential for human life. Our bodies are mostly made up of water. A healthy person can survive no more than three, maybe four days without water. One of the great blessings of modern industrial societies is that we have easy access to drinking water. We just turn on the tap and it's there. It's a blessing that, speaking personally, I know that I don't really take the time to appreciate as often as I should. In other parts of the world, water is in short supply due to drought and insufficient storage and purification facilities. In parts of Africa, millions of people, mostly women and children, who do not necessarily have indoor plumbing and have to make daily trips to communal sources of water. And that's more similar to the situation in Jesus' day. Israel gets almost no rainfall between May and about mid-October. And so when Jesus talks to people about thirsting, I think it probably had a little bit more resonance to a first century audience than it does to us. But still, water is an incredibly powerful metaphor because even though we do have easy access to drinking water, we've all been thirsty at some point. Maybe you've been outside all day. Maybe it's been a really hot day. And we know, or maybe you wake up in the middle of the night, parched. And so we all know this instant relief that a drink of water can bring. And it's in those times that only water can quench our thirst. Maybe you're somebody who likes to drink soda. Soda doesn't help when you're really thirsty. Maybe you're a coffee drinker. A piping hot cup of coffee is not appealing when you're really thirsty. Only water can quench our thirst. In our section, Jesus stands up and proclaims, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Are you thirsty? Over the last couple weeks in chapter 7, we've seen Jesus at the Feast of Booths. In today's section, our opening passage, the passage opens up by saying that it is now the last day of the feast. And so we've seen quite a bit of time Dedicated to the Feast of Booths. And with that, we'll jump into our passage before making a few concluding observations about the passage. Verses 37 and 38. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John says that Jesus cried out when he spoke. There is urgency to his proclamation. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
The first thing we have to understand about this passage is that Jesus does not talk about thirst and drinking out of nowhere. What he's saying fits with the feast. And it's important to understand what Jesus is saying in light of the Old Testament. One thing that we have not talked about is that in Jesus' day, as part of the observance of the Feast of Booths, there was a water-pouring ceremony where the high priest would take a golden pitcher of water with an assembly of people following him. The high priest would go to the nearby pool of Siloam. He would fill the pitcher. The priest would bring the water back to the temple courtyard as the shifar horn, the horn associated with praise and celebration, as the shifar horn was blasted. The people would recite psalms of praise And they would chant three times, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord. And the high priest would take the the pitcher of water and pour it on the altar. In Jesus' day, this ceremony had developed. Now, keep in mind that the Feast of Booths was in part meant to recall the time in which their Israelite forefathers were in the wilderness and awaiting the promised land. For 40 years, the Israelites dwelled in their own booths or tents and brought the tabernacle with them in the desert. In Exodus chapters 15, 16, and 17, the Israelites were, at the time, in their early days and weeks of their desert wanderings. They've just seen God bring plagues upon the Egyptians. They've just seen the Lord part the waters of the Red Sea and free them from Egyptian rule. But the Israelites quickly fall into grumbling. In Exodus 15, they grumble about not having water, as if the Lord had miraculously freed them and would not provide. But before we judge the Israelites too harshly, I think we too can often be fickle, And as quick to forget the Lord's blessings in our own lives as the Israelites were. Can we not? We can forget God's blessings in our lives, God's faithfulness in our lives. We're not so different from the Israelites. In Exodus, God provides water. Exodus 16, again, very early on in the desert wanderings. And the Israelites complain about not having enough food. And they go as far as accusing the Lord of having brought them into the desert just to kill them all. God is gracious. He provides manna. It was miraculous. Something which the Lord used to sustain them for their entire 40 years in the desert. And interestingly enough, in John chapter 6, we see Jesus as something greater when he declares that he himself is the bread of life, the true bread after he's fed the multitudes with bread. Exodus 17, the people again complain about water. Never mind that God has already shown his ability to provide water. God has shown that he will provide food. But the Israelites again grumble and accuse the Lord of having brought them into the wilderness to kill them. Instead of raining down righteous judgment... God does another miracle, and that we'll read about, Exodus chapter 17, verses 4 through 6. 
So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. God provides water from a rock. When the Israelites were in the desert and thirsty, God gave them water. And that was part of the background for the water ceremony at the Feast of Booths. Again, the Feast of Booths was largely meant to look back at the time of the Israelite wanderings. But there's further significance to the water. Water is a symbol of blessing in the Old Testament. And once again, to appreciate that, I think we have to keep in mind desert and semi-arid climates where the Israelites in the Old Testament lived and where the Israelites lived in the time of Christ. The water ceremony, specifically, was related to Isaiah 12. Now, the ceremony is not specifically commanded in that passage, but the connection of water and life and praise for the Lord influenced Jewish observations of the Feast of Booths. Isaiah 12, verses 3 and 4. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Or again, we see the connection of water and divine blessing in Isaiah 55, 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 8, prophesied of a future time of God's blessing. On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It's interesting that even in Zechariah, He refers to living water. The prophets were looking forward to a future time of the Lord's provision where it's compared to living water. Water is important. And in the Old Testament, you see the connection of ideas of water and the Holy Spirit, most famously in Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 27. I think I've said this before, but... I would argue Ezekiel 36 is one of the three most important Old Testament passages outside of Genesis. Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. In that passage, we see the specific connection between water and the spirit and the impact that the spirit has in the life of a believer. 
We've talked about the importance of water in the Feast of Booths and pointing back to God's provision of water in the importance of water for survival. But the connection of water and the Holy Spirit is also important with their connection to the Feast of Booths because part of the celebration and hope of the Feast of Booths was that it also looked forward to a future time when the Lord would pour out His Spirit on His people. And that is important to understanding our passage in John because Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Ezekiel pointed to a time when people would be so filled with the spirit that they would be enabled to follow the law of God. And Jesus says that whoever believes in him, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And what I believe that this is saying is that the one who comes to Jesus will be given the Spirit, as the Scripture has promised. And where it says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, it's referring to the transformed life of a believer through the work of the Holy Spirit. We don't cause it to happen. We don't cause our own spiritual growth. It's a supernatural work of God in the heart and life of a believer as a result of regeneration, being born again. And so that drives home the significance of Jesus standing up on the last day of the feast and calling the thirsty to come to him and drink and his promise of living water. And the fact that the living water is the Holy Spirit is not in dispute. You have the Old Testament background that we've been talking about. But even more specifically, John tells us that's what he's referring to at the end of the passage in verse 39. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And really... Jesus has talked a lot about the Holy Spirit to this point in John. He talks of it in reference to regeneration, being born again. When Nicodemus comes seeking him in chapter 3, Jesus says in John 3, 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The spiritual renewal which comes through the Spirit. Jesus tells that to Nicodemus who at the end of this passage, at the end of chapter 7, we'll make another appearance in John's gospel. Jesus is referring to water and the Spirit in John chapter 4 when he interacts with the woman at the well. John chapter 4, verse 14, 13 and 14. He says, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The Holy Spirit and his coming into the hearts of believers and the necessity of that happening is a significant theme in John's gospel. As John says in verse 39, people did not yet have the Holy Spirit as a matter of every believer being given the Spirit. That does not happen until the book of Acts. 
But Jesus talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And that becomes a major focus of Jesus at the end of his ministry in John chapters 14 through 17. Jesus says to the disciples shortly before his death, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. He's referring to the Holy Spirit. He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot see because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Back in our main passage in John chapter 7, you have a large assembly of the Israelites all listening to Jesus preach about the living water he provides at the feast, which pointed back to their ancestors' time in the wilderness. And it was in that time that God provided physical water from a rock, but it was meant to point to something even greater. You have Jesus at the feast, which looked forward to a future time when God would pour out his spirit. And here, Jesus proclaims to the group that he is the one who has come to provide the spirit. And as John ends the passage, again, the spirit has not yet been given. And John gives the reason, which is because Christ has not yet been glorified. But once again, we see in his ministry a singular focus that is always pointing forward to his death. There are people who have tried to kill him, been unable. We've talked about referring to his hour, the hour of his death. Here again, the spirit would not be given until after Jesus had died and rose from the dead and been glorified. Jesus provides the living water to the one who comes to him and thirsts. So I ask again, are you thirsty? And this idea is carried into the biblical depictions of heaven. Revelation 21 verse 6, John's vision of the new heaven and the new earth. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty... I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Then again, Revelation twenty-two seventeen, one of the last verses in the Bible. The spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Jesus has come for thirsty people. He's not come for people who want to earn their way to him, want to be self-righteous. He has come for the one who comes to him who thirsts. Reminds me of the first of the Beatitudes, where Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The person who is totally divested of any pride or self-righteousness, who realizes they have nothing to honor, nothing to give a perfect and holy God, Nothing to stand on on their own, but comes to God merely for his mercy and grace. That that is the one for whom the kingdom of heaven is reserved. And here, it's the one who comes to Jesus who is thirsty, who has that thirst quenched. 
I spoke in the beginning about how much of the world struggles to get water. But it's interesting. We have water, but don't drink it. At least not to the level that we should. And if you've ever heard this rule about eight eight ounce glasses a day, how many people show of hands? How many people drink 64 ounces of water every single day of your life? A few. It doesn't surprise me that a few do. It's almost a half gallon. Studies show that 75% of Americans are chronically dehydrated. I look at articles about other countries. We're not the only people who struggle with this. I saw an article that suggested upwards of 80% 80 of Australians. And another article that said perhaps 90% of British people don't drink enough water. So we have people in poor countries who don't drink enough water because they can't get it. But many people in places who have enough water don't drink it. It's amazing when you think about it. And I consider the metaphor of thirst and of living water from a spiritual perspective. So many people don't think that they need God. Don't think that they need the salvation which Christ offers. Feel like they can do things on their own and be fine. The grace is offered, but so many are not thirsty. Or, more accurately, so many don't know that they have the thirst for what Christ alone can quench. Jesus provides the living water, and he is the only source of the true water. So I ask, what well are you drinking from? The USS Indianapolis was a battle cruiser which was sunk by a torpedo in the Pacific Ocean in July of 1945. The ship was returning from a mission where they had delivered the enriched uranium used in the first nuclear bomb. After the ship was struck, it sunk in 12 minutes. 1,195 sailors were aboard. Roughly 300 died in the initial attack. For the 900 survivors who entered the water, they spent a harrowing four days in the hot sun of the Pacific Ocean with very little food or water. Some died from injuries sustained in the sinking. Some died from the elements and exposure. Some died in shark attacks. But a temptation that the survivors faced in their state of extreme dehydration was the desire to drink the seawater. Of the 900 who went into the sea, only 316 survived the sinking of the ship and survived being in the ocean. The chief medical officer recounted his own harrowing experiences. There was nothing I could do, nothing I could give, but to get, nothing I could do but to give advice, bury the dead at sea, save the life, jack, life jackets, and try to keep the men from drinking the water. When the hot sun came out and we were in crystal clear ocean, we were so thirsty. You couldn't believe it wasn't good enough to drink. I had a hard time convincing the men that they shouldn't drink. The real young ones, you take away their hope, you take away their water and food, they would drink the salt water and they would go fast. I can remember striking 
the ones who were drinking the salt water, to try to stop them. They would get dehydrated. There is living water, Jesus promises to those who come to him and thirst. Anything else we drink will lead to our own death and destruction. He invites us to know him. He invites us to drink. He invites us to life. Have you come to him as one who is thirsty? Do you believe that he is the Lord, that he is the Savior of the world, and that he is the one who gives living water? At the Last Supper, Jesus also invited people to him. At this point, we'll do communion, and if the deacons can come up to help distribute that. Also, I should make a note, just like when we did communion last time in June, that we stacked the, the bread and the cup. They're stacked. So you just pick up one. They're stacked. You pull it apart, and the bread's at the bottom. So you just pick up one. We're going to come through in the empty rows. And so hold on the tray, you just pick one up. And uh, as always, when we do communion, we do what's called open communion, which means it's open to anybody who believes in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you agree with me? I have a lot of you thank you that you are the Lord, that you are good. Lord, we thank you for your Son who has come into the world to bring salvation and the good news of the gospel and to provide living water. Lord, we thank you that he invites us to come as thirsty people, and we praise you that we are invited to come to his table, to partake and to remember his body, which was given for our sins, and his blood, which was poured out for our sins. Lord, it's grace that we don't deserve. But it's grace that you freely offer in your goodness for us. And for that we praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen.
So, but we'll take these one at a time. So the bread is the bottom of the two cups. Reading again from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me? I am the Father. We do proclaim your death until 